welcome. This is The Real Football Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny, a.k.a. The South African Prince. And let's get into it on today's episode, speaking about title races. We're getting to the point of the season. We're past the new year mark. We're past the transfer window. And so we're slowly but surely getting into the final stretch. Things are starting to take place in the top leagues in Europe and We're going to be talking about the title race in two countries, my two favorite leagues in the world, the Premier League, obviously, as well as Syria. Starting with the Premier League. And the previous episode was obviously about Jurgen Klopp and his bombshell. We know that he's leaving at the end of the season. It's an absolutely devastating piece of news. However, we still have... A lot of a season left to go. May is not here yet. We are not saying our final goodbyes yet. There are no effigies and and tifos and uh, tears on the cop just yet. We still have the rest of the season to go. And we're in an excellent shape. We're in fantastic position to really do something special this season. And I said it in the previous episode for us to finish this season and send Klopp off with the type of send-off that he really, really deserves as one of the greatest managers in Liverpool history. We're going to need to lock the fuck in, focus, and essentially win every single game that we play for the rest of the season because we know for a fact that we are up against an absolute juggernaut. They need no introduction. Financial fair play know them very well. 115 potential breaches. Manchester City, we know that they are about to click on. I've been saying it for weeks now, for clean over a month at this point, that they have already started their run and they are still kicking ass right now. With all that being said, the very first game right after the... Klopp announcement was the game in the FA Cup. We won that game quite handily. I do, do not remember who we played against, but we won that game with no real stress. The next game was Chelsea at Anfield. Chelsea, we've drawn against We had drawn against them a million times in a row. Every single game was either a nil-nil or a 1-1. It didn't seem to matter whether they were in form and we weren't or we were in form and they weren't in our title challenging seasons we had issues against them i think only in 1920 when we did with the league we beat them in that bonkers game at anfield before the trophy lift i think that game finished like 5-3 or something crazy Naby Keita scored a worldie i believe Harvey Elliott also scored a goal in that game in any case i believe that was our last clean victory against them they beat us as well during a horrible run of form at home at an empty Anfield when we lost about six games in a row at Anfield, just ridiculous stuff. And since then, it's been a draw every single time. Even when you beat them at at Wembley on penalties twice in a row, it was a draw. And so this game was very important, not only to set the marker in the league, as to essentially announce ourselves as though we are still going to continue in the exact same vein of form. We are going to continue to kick ass. The Klopp announcement is not going to derail us. That was absolutely the case. That first half that we played was the best football I've seen this team play all season long. I couldn't believe what I was watching. The, the sheer dominance in every single facet of the game, from attacking to defending, I don't. I think they only had one or two shots in the entire first half. We were all over them. It was a 
plain and simple, it was an ass whooping. We took them behind the shed and beat the shit out of them. That's how comprehensive of a performance that we put up against those guys. I understand that they are a young team, a hodgepodge, mercenaries. Well, maybe not mercenaries, but young mercenaries on eight-year contracts. It's an absolute mess over there at Stamford Bridge. They were picking up a little bit of form. They were finding their feet somewhat. They had won something like three games in a row, which is an achievement for this Chelsea team. They've been awful for two years, maybe even three years at this point. And we, you know, more like two years, they've been awful for about two seasons. Complete mid-table mediocrity. And so the end result is not that that is surprising, but the way in which we did it, we could have easily scored four goals. Darwin Nunes by himself hit the post four times in this game. Darwin Nunes, please score a fucking goal, my guy. I can't I can't be too harsh on him because he has eleven assists in all competitions. He has twenty plus goals and assists this season. Him and Salah both twenty plus goals and goal and assists, which is he 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 had an assist in the game as well to Luis Diaz, and so I can't be too critical of him. But he hit the post four times, including a missed penalty. We could have easily won that game about 7-1. We we could have won that game 7-1, 7-0. It could have been a ridiculous scoreline, similar to what we did against United last season. However, that wasn't to be. Ngungu did get a con- consolation goal. Ngungu is an excellent footballer. I I really liked what he did at Leipzig. He's going to be, if Chelsea can ever shed off their chaotic ways, that's, I know that's a ridiculous statement. It's kind of like saying Spurs would end their Spursiness. It, it just, it's ingrained in the club at this point. But if they can find some stability for a year or two, bank on Ngungu becoming the superstar, the gem in that team, he's Oh, fantastic footballer. Based upon what I saw in Leipzig, and he did it for years on end, he's probably going to be a great, great player for Chelsea if they can find some semblance of stability for about a year or two. That being said, we end the game 4-1. Connor Bradley was absolutely lights out. He had two assists and a goal. Just the perfect performance. And as I said in the previous episode... If we can beat Chelsea and then go to Arsenal and win, because we have a couple of easier, well, quote-unquote, easier fixtures. I don't like to look at any fixture in the Premier League as though it's an easy fixture, even though, on paper, a lot of these fixtures heading into the Man City game in early March are against lower-table teams who we should be beating with our eyes closed. We had to go to the Emirates, bearing in mind that we had won at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago in the FA Cup in Arsenal's competition, and so they were obviously reeling from that. They did get a healthy draw at Anfield uh, in December, uh, in the first time, the first fixture that we met that we met these guys in, and it couldn't be a bigger contrast. It couldn't be a bigger night and day shift between. The the performance against Chelsea in which we are all inspiring, we are completely dominant to the weekend game against Arsenal. Arsenal took us to the cleaners. They, they destroyed us. They smacked us around. It was very difficult to watch, to be honest. Even though the scoreline didn't 
Of course, the game finish finishes up 3-1. And if we make a few less mistakes, we're probably escaping there with a draw. But uh, the play, the overall play, I don't think we had a shot on target. We did have one shot on target, I remember. But we didn't create any real good clear-cut chances. Arsenal were playing lights out. The Emirates was bouncing. You don't often see that sort of atmosphere at the Emirates in recent years. They feel as though something has been building under Arteta. Last season, of course, they saw the fruits of that labor. They did finish second. They were in the title race up until about three, four games to go in the season. And so they feel something has been growing there. But it did. there was a sense of desperation, a sense of almost erraticness about not necessarily the players on the field, but the, the fans in the stadium, the Arteta himself, he was he was very lively, very, very emotive, very expressive in terms of how he how he was feeling. He was kicking every single ball, as they say. And it worked for them. Of course it worked for them on the day. However, it it seemed as though it was desperate because at that moment in time we went into the game five points clear of Arsenal. If we had beaten them, it would have been eight points and they probably would have been having to look over their shoulder at Spurs and Aston Villa in terms of the top four race. That would have been a possibility and a win would have gotten them right back into the thick of things by closing the gap to us to two points. The game in and of itself, they... For me, the game really, really hinged on a couple of factors here. A couple of factors being from the Liverpool side of things, we went into the game and Soboslai was out. Soboslai was outstanding, just like pretty much everyone else in the team. He was outstanding against Chelsea. Fantastic football player. His defensive work, his work rate in general to get up and down the pitch. I've said it before many, many times. The guy runs and runs and runs. And he he puts in one hell of a shift every single game. We missed that. We missed that quite a bit because Gravenberch came into the team. Gravenberch, outside of his initial month or so, he hasn't looked very good at all. He hasn't kicked on similar to Curtis Jones or Sobosly or McAllister or even Endo. He hasn't kicked on. He he doesn't seem as though he's fully adjusted to the pace of the league. I, I did say I some, said something a little bit controversial initially um, because he was at, I believe it was against Man City. He had a very good cameo against them. He had a very good cameo the week after. Scored a couple of goals in, I believe it was the Europa League. He might have gotten one in the league. Just a couple goals, a few good performances. We could see the positives in his game. And unfortunately, in the past two or so months, we've seen a lot of the negatives in his game. And he he just couldn't adjust to the pace of things, and he, he was he was essentially a weak link in the team. Unfortunately, in the midfield, up against that Arsenal midfield, which they completely dominated the game, they were the reason why I believe they kicked our ass in that game. The other reason in terms of the starting lineup was Trent came in for Connor Bradley. Now, unfortunately for Connor Bradley. His father passed away. My condolences, my guy. I hope you and your family are doing as best as you possibly can in these tough times. Uh, yeah, condolences for your loss. 
he was playing lights out, of course. He was the man of the match against Chelsea. He had two assists and his first goal. I think Trent didn't give me the... He, Trent didn't seem like he was fully fit yet. He, he kind of labored a lot in his play. He couldn't get up and down the pitch with as much ease. He had to pass on a tremendous amount of defensive duties to Konate and we saw that in this one particular action where Martinelli just he blitzes past Konate and gets around him essentially just through pure pace and Martinelli had a quite the game for himself uh, and this that that was the big issue that was the big issue so those two especially on the same side of the field that was a massive weakness for us the other thing was that Darwin Nunes was not fit enough to start. Darwin Nunes causes chaos. We, I mean, 11 goals, 11 assists. The guy, he is a magnet for chances, number one. He's a magnet for goals and goal contributions, number two. So he's been, he was a big miss from the starting lineup. Cody Gakpo came in. Gakpo couldn't, just like the rest of the forward line, could not really do anything to Arsenal in this game. Now, on the Arsenal side of the ball, I did mention the midfield. I thought that Declan Rice, and I wax lyrical about this guy. Every single time I speak about Arsenal, I speak about this guy. I said it when they bought him, that he might have the Virgil van Dijk effect on their midfield, uh, similar to what Virgil van Dijk had to the to Liverpool's team, Liverpool, Liverpool's back line when we signed him. He's just world-class. He's, he's ready-made to go phenomenal player him and Jorginho they had excellent games along with Martinelli the defense was really good in general but a defense is only sometimes as good as its shield and that shield my word they were excellent and Arsenal gave us the only lifeline that we that we really got in the game we we were not anywhere in this game uh the entire first half, that was probably the worst first half that I've seen us play this season in complete contrast to the best first half that I've seen us play up against Chelsea. And we're going into halftime at 1-0 down. I believe it was Martin. It wasn't Martinelli. Uh, it was Saka. Oh, man. And they split us apart in that. Oh, jeez. Odegaard had a great game. I think Arsenal in general, that was probably their best performance of the season. I know they played. They beat Man City at at the Emirates as well. However, I think this was their best their best game, their best performance. Saka gets the rebound off of uh, Kai Havertz's shot, one nil to them. We go into halftime, and I felt as though we we could still, if we could just weather the storm, get into halftime, one nil down, we should be okay. We'll regroup. We'll play better. Gabriel gives us an absolute gift. Uh, Saliba with. Essentially, the only mistake that he made in all game allows Luis Diaz to get around him. Luis Diaz pokes the ball into Gabriel. Gabriel's hand, essentially, hands ball, hand bolted into his own nets. We go into halftime 1-1. I'm thinking Klopp is going to sort these guys out because they've played awfully. Hopefully, we can do better. Hopefully, we can start to create some chances, similar to the FA Cup game when Arsenal completely dominated the first half and then second half. It was a little bit more even, and we eventually came out tops. I would have bitten anyone's hand off for a point at that uh, at that stage. At halftime, I was begging for a point. Can you please get a point? Because these guys are outplaying us like nothing you've seen, nothing I've seen this season. 
and we come out of we come out of second half out of half time into the second half we're doing reasonably well we played a bit better but we never really got we never really dominated this game arsenal that midfield was just too excellent on the day and no one in our midfield considering we started with McAllister, jones and and gravenberg None of those three are better than Declan Rice or even as good as Declan Rice. And to me, watching the game, that is the main point of focus. That is the main thing that I saw, that Declan Rice is just better than the rest of these guys. And so a lot of our attacks kind of went to die once they got to that defensive midfield line in the Arsenal team. And then a blunder kind of just kills off this game. The blunder which kind of, it really hurts to see these sorts of things. It's like, it's not as crucial or as unfortunately memorable as the Steven Gerrard slip, but it, it hurts just that little bit more when your great players, your legends, fuck up so fundamentally that, and then cost your team a goal and essentially cost your team the result, essentially cost your team potentially the season and trophies and so on and so forth. It hurts just that little bit more and this is what happens here in, in for the second goal for Arsenal Virgil van Dijk does not deal with it first time he needs to hit that ball he needs to clear it defending 101 if you let that ball bounce behind you you are fucked a player with the experience and quality of Virgil van Dijk knows this he's done it a million times he's known it for at least 25 years now every single year that he's been playing football he's known this for some inexplicable reason, he lets the ball go over his head. He gives Martinelli the opportunity. Him and Addison, uh, they they don't sort it out. Neither of them sort it out. And Martinelli can put the ball into the back of the net, back of an empty net. We're left with Addison, the best goalkeeper in the world. Virgil van Dijk, puts possibly the best centre-back in the world, staring each other in the face like, geez, what have we done? And from 2-1 down, we, we didn't have it in us to, to win this game. We, we were just poor overall. That kind of knocked any little momentum that we might have been building up in the game. Knocked it out of our sails. Leandro Trossard comes on for Martinetti later on in the game. He goes on a, t- a blazing run. Finishes the game off 3-1 to the Arsenal. They're back in the title race. We took a fat L. Oh, jeez. Oh, me or my. I'm kind of just left scratching my head, head and hands, just, oh, great. And inevitably, on Monday, I believe that game was on Sunday, the next day, Manchester City comes along and they do what they do. They won the game against Brentford. Full Foden scored a hat-trick for those calling for Full Foden to really step up. Oh, why did you have to poke up a young Barry? The guy's only 23 years old. He's a world-class footballer, or he has world-class talent, and he will most likely be a world-class footballer. If not, he is a world-class footballer. Squads a hat-trick away to Brentford. Manchester City win. They have one game in hand, If they and they're two points behind us. If they win that game in hand, they'll go a point ahead of us. It's not all doom and gloom. I am not... There's 15 games left in the season, 45 points to play for, so one or two points, that's somewhat insignificant, especially in considering that City have to come to Anfield. But 
it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Had we won that game, I'd be a lot more confident. However, Noxus stuffing out of us. We don't have the momentum that we had. A little bit worrying. A little bit worrying for sure. However, we do have a few easier fixtures coming up so we can build that momentum going into the game at Anfield. And then Anfield has to be the the most intimidating that it's been since the Barcelona game back in 2019. We need to be that level of atmosphere up against City. We have to beat them and then we have to essentially win the rest of our games for us to have any chance at the title and sending Klopp off with number 20. Moving onwards over to the peninsula, uh, into Syria, into Calcio. Inter up against Juventus, the Derby della Italia. I love Syria. Syria is my second favorite league. Juventus is my team in Syria. If I were to, if I had to choose a team, I would always choose Juventus. During our during Liverpool's terrible years in the Champions League, when we when we were not in the Champions League, I was always hoping Juventus would win it all. They never did. However, they smacked teams in Syria for a very long time. Nine titles in a row. Ridiculous stuff. In any case, Inter versus Juventus is the biggest game in Italy it was the two teams at the top of the table kind of running away with it Inter have a game in hand I believe they still have a game in hand right now and this game was essentially epic Juventus needed to lay a glove on these guys Juventus needed to beat these guys they're the best team in Italy I believe they should be dark horses for the Champions League they're a very strong defense They've got a world-class, they've got two world-class players right now. Lotaro Martinez is on fire this year. I, I haven't rated him too highly, especially as a pure goal scorer, but he's been banging them in. Marcus Turam, also fantastic. He's been a perfect strike partner for Lotaro Martinez. Obviously, Lukaku left, I believe he left last season or the season before, one of these years. Lukaku left. They Latar Martinez needed a quality player alongside him. Marcus Suram is perfect. Marcus Suram is the big game player, and Marcus Suram is the guy who wins into this game. It was a little bit of a scrappy goal, if I recall correctly, but Marcus Suram puts the ball in the back of the net. He scored in all the big games. He scored when into smacked. Milan, I believe he scored against Roma, he scored against Lazio, I believe, and he scored against Napoli. So he's the big game player. Lotaro Martinez is doing whatever he wants up top. He's scoring goals for fun. And that that midfield, I I can't say I've ever really rated Mikatarian or Chana Oglu, but they are doing perfectly there. They're they're playing really, really well as a team next to Nicolo, Nicolo Barella. Barella, I'd love for him to come to Liverpool. He, before we got Sabaslai, before we did this whole rebuild, he would have been my dream signing because he is phenomenal, fantastic footballer. Their wing backs are doing well. Their defense is strong. Inter, once they scored that one goal, you kind of got the sense, especially at the San Siro, the San Siro was bumping, that this is not only the game that... It, let me say it like this. So once Marcus Suram scores that goal, it felt as though it was game set and match. Not only not only in the game on the day, but it felt like it was game set and match for the Serie A title. And 
at this moment in time, I don't see Juventus lifting themselves up. Even with Vlahovic banging the goals in, even with a lot of these younger players playing well, I don't see them doing what it takes to catch this Inter team, especially considering that they lost their one opportunity to directly affect Inter. Unfortunately, I do think that the Serie A title race is wrapped up. Inter are probably going to win it by over six points. They're probably going to, especially if they win their next five, six, seven games and they can build a proper healthy lead, they're going to focus fully on the Champions League and they could, and I say could, they have a great opportunity in what seems like a somewhat wide open Champions League field this season. Real Madrid are obviously Real Madrid, but they, they there could be some vulnerabilities there. Manchester City, possibly not as good as last season, but they are starting to pick up. They're starting to find themselves again. But I do think Inter, Inter are probably right in there. Inter with Bayern Munich, Man City, and Real Madrid. Those will probably be my, my four uh, four favorites for the Champions League title. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I think that that title race is over. And that would mean that we that's two seasons in a row where one team just just dead dick the rest of the league. Napoli did it last season. Napoli by this time last season, they were, what, like 15 points clear or something like that. I think Inter, Juventus are going to lose steam because they've been, they've been getting points at a clip that doesn't even make sense. I think they're going to fall off. Inter are going to run away with it and then they're going to put all their eggs in the Champions League basket. And they could really do damage in, the, in that competition. I'm curious to see if they get into the quarterfinals, I'd love to see them up against a Bayern, up against a Real Madrid, up against a Man City. You see what they can do because they, they look fantastic in Serie A right now. And on a final note, I do want to just give a quick shout out. AFCON, the final is set. Nigeria up against Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. That's going to be an epic final. Two classic footballing nations vying for the African title. It's going to be great. Hopefully I can catch some of it that is on, on Super Bowl Sunday and catching that AFCON has been a little bit difficult. Hopefully I can catch some of the game. That's not necessarily what I want to shout out. I do want to shout out Bafana Bafana. When AFCON began, not only was I surprised that Bafana were even in the tournament because there were seasons, there were years when they couldn't even qualify for AFCON not only was I surprised that they were in it, I was surprised that they made it out of the group. I was surprised that they knocked out the best team in Africa based on the FIFA rankings, the World Cup semi-finalists, Morocco. Not only did they make it that far, they made it all the way to the semi-finals and they took Nigeria, I, I would say a team with more experience at a higher level of football, players from the Premier League, players from Serie A, players from some of the best leagues in the world, they took that team all the way to penalties. And at penalties, it's 50-50. They could have easily been knocked out the round before, but they weren't. They made it all the way to the semifinals. Unfortunate, but Bafana Bafana, you guys did amazingly well. I'm really proud of you. I've been talking shit. <laughs> I've been talking shit for a long, long time. You guys deserve that shit talk. However, this time, you guys did what it what it needed to do. You've done us proud. South Africa on a roll, obviously. 
the rugby team won the World Cup. We've got young Tyler who won her, a Grammy at 23 years old, South African woman. SA is doing amazing stuff right now. Uh, shout out to you, Bafana Bafana. And on that note, I do want to give the goalkeeper Williams. He's my player of the week. He saved about three penalties in the shootout against Cape Verde. You are my player of the week. That's a very sentimental pick. I should probably pick Connor Bradley. I should probably pick someone else. But no, no, no. It's going to be Williams. Shout out to you, my guy. Very well done. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, days and thems, I must love you and leave you. That's the end of the episode. I do want to just quickly say it's Mardi Gras weekend. So if you are anywhere in the New Orleans area or if you are traveling in, please have a magnificent time. I'm going to. And whenever you listen to this podcast, I hope you have a magnificent day and take care.